0: Today's guest is Igor Pushkin. Igor is the chief architect for data and AI at Oracle Cloud. He first started his career in Belarus as a researcher working on neural nets. Since then, he's worked on a wide variety of things across cloud, mobile development, and AI. In this episode, we'll talk about his experiences building glimpse from the early startup days, his passion for natural language understanding, and the fascinating generative AI work he's up to at Oracle. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Igor. i really excited to dive in and learn about you and your background. Absolutely, Sheikh. Pleasure being here. So the very first question I have for you, Igor, is uh, I like to kick off with all of my guests. Is how
1: would you describe your work to a five-year-old? Yeah, I have a seven-year-old and ten-year-old. And uh, every once in a while, they explain new concepts that I never know existed. So let me give it a shot. So my work is around making it so that we can interact with computer systems and talk to them just like we are talking right now. So instead of figuring out what button to press and how to navigate yourself through an application, like when you're playing on an iPad or doing your homework, you could just tell the computer what you want, and it would respond and it would do what you're aiming to accomplish. So for example, you can just say, hey, computer, buy me a board. And then your dad will spend hours explaining the technical support <laughs> that it was a mistake. It sounds like that might be for our past experience. <laughs> Not far from that.
0: I still remember when I first introduced Alexa to my house. I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. They found some audiobooks that they loved and figured out how to buy it. And that just changed my total experience of it. <laughs> Tell us about your career story. What were some of the inflection points along
1: the way that led to where you are now? I started in academia a long time ago. I was working on processing of multispectral satellite images with early neural networks, Mm -hmm. pre-convolutional neural networks. Back in the day, one thing that we realized, the open source community, uh, virtually speaking, was non-existent. Libraries were in a dark age of neural networks, so you could not pick up a TensorFlow library of the shell. So one thing that I started working on is that project that you noticed, the Neural Laboratory, that was essentially a visual environment for building and constructing neural networks with SDK that you could use to export it, to export the final product. And while doing that, I realized that I had a very deep passion for this structure software engineering. So And that was quite different from research work that I was doing back in the day as a primary occupation. So I made a decision to pivot, to switch to the industry, and found myself joining a local here in Seattle, real-time location sharing startup, Glims. I joined uh, shortly after founders, Microsoft veterans, Brian Trussell and Steve Miller. We sort of started this journey from scratch. We built a company from ground up. That was phenomenally interesting and powerful experience that I went through. Picture. Our technology, which was real time location sharing, being integrated across literally all pieces of modern consumer tech, things, smartphones, wearables, modern automotive dashboards, pretty much anything that had GPS and networking and networking ability. That gave me a very, very broad spectrum of technologies to work with, exciting companies to interact. We visit research and development centers of Mercedes, BMW, went to Samsung. So from a technical perspective and the breadth of applying this technology, I could not possibly imagine a better place to be at during that consumer revolution. At that point, a lot of pieces of consumer tech was revolutionized. So we are not dealing with legacy automotive dashboards. It's a giant screen in almost every vehicle right now. And in that gig, there was one turning point that is worth mentioning. We transitioned from being a purely consumer company to an enterprise play. And that was something that was very interesting from the perspective of learning as well. It's a significant shift in the paradigm and the mentality of how you build software, uh, how you make it available to your customers. So at that point, Gleams was focusing on this last mile experience in delivery, in any technician showing up at your door, giving you exact ETA on when they would arrive. Uh, And that was phenomenal learning exercise. And spending about 10 years with that place, so uh, I realized it was time for me to review my career, review what I was doing. I looked at the overall journey where I started and what was happening in the industry and the academia around me and noticed that there was something quite significant happening in the world of NLP. It was end of 2017, uh, early 2018, shortly after the fundamental papers on Transformers were published and yeah. I realized there is something in there. So I had an interaction with one of the leaders at AWS, Vladimir Zhukov. He was heading a group of services dealing with all things language, and they invited me to be their technical counterpart. So I joined AWS in 2018 and spent a couple of years working on diving very deep into all things NLP and all things human language. And shortly after that, uh, I got to reach out from Oracle, one of the leaders of Oracle Digital Assistant, invited me to join a team and with the perspective of having a bigger scope, being able to apply myself to all this machine learning, all data platform and data science platform at Oracle Cloud. So here I am in this group, we have a portfolio of big data, managed open source data services, data science platform, and a group of vertical services covering all modalities of data, language, vision, speech, document, predictive services, and recently announced the Generative AI service.
0: Well, that's so much to dig into there. That's a really fun evolution. Going back to your earliest experiences that you mentioned when you were in Belarus working on neural nets almost 20 years ago at this point, this is way before it was cool, And as you were looking back at those experiences, as you were designing and training neural nets then, what's something that you didn't think would be possible now? The field has changed so much.
1: I'll briefly start with the opposite, and then I'll get back to your question. So what was certainly at the top of my mind, and something that I was able to predict is neural net growing in size. And we already saw that. Even during the dark ages of neural networks, ever since inception, those were structured as layered formations. So people kept mm-hmm. on adding layers and as technology progressed, as the computational power grew. So it was pretty easy to picture that those would be growing bigger and bigger in size. But to your question, what I certainly did not predict is genericity being achieved so quickly. And that's mm-hmm. something that happened over the course of the last couple of years, really. Up until that point, we were working on purely task-specific machine learning. And this paradigm shift to zero-shot learning, and we've seen a few-shot learning that is currently powered by uh, large language models, so it's quite significant. And that's effectively our journey to AGI, which at this point is not too far ahead, I would yeah. say.
0: During your time at Glimpse, you mentioned working on so many different things and really growing company there. With your work on mobile, automotive, and wearables, what do you think the influence of that has been as you develop AI systems now?
1: Actually, there was one learning that helped me throughout my career. Well, building the Gleams, and especially when focusing on our consumer play, there was quite significant realization. When you put up a product, customers interact with, with it in a quite different manner rather than how you picture it. Because effectively, when building it, you're an expert. You're an expert yeah. in the UX, in the flows, in how you expect people to get what they want out of it. And most end users, most customers walk in with this, just this desire without intrinsic understanding of how the product works. So this obsession of being able to drive the customers through the journey that your product offers effectively drives the way how I think about designing those. Design is also on technical side of things and then exposes that in the, in the form of UX or a form of some product concepts. And these days, the tie to machine learning is these days, the conversational AI and the newly introduced paradigms allow us to lower this barrier of entry. And that gets back to something that I mentioned in the very beginning. You almost literally allow customers to just literally walk in and say, hey, I want to do that. And the the product would adjust and the the product would uh, navigate the customers through at times very complicated and convoluted UX, which is uh, usually the case for enterprise software.
0: So it's almost giving up control and empowering the customer then. Mm -hmm. Looking at it from that perspective then and seeing how the technology is being used in the wild. So across your time at many different companies, it seems like you're developing net new things and helping customers figure out how to use that. Either in your time at Amazon or now at Oracle, uh, what have been some of the barriers when companies decide to go from a proof of concept to actually launching it in production. What are some of the technical and maybe cultural changes that need to occur when you're working with AI systems at scale?
1: Happens all the time. So the thing is, at the very high level, the story sort of diverges depending on the type of customer you're dealing with. In um, a lot of cases, when enterprises get into the topic of building machine learning systems from ground up, they set up teams, they use data science platform and the hardware offered by the cloud, they inevitably become experts in the process. So they, mm-hmm. they set up the life cycle, they set up data acquisition processes and over time they build this expertise. So as it's perceived externally, their challenges are mostly infrastructural, so they have technical in you know, nature. And the second category that is I would say the most important and some categories that I've dealt with most in my past experience is enterprises adopting managed services and vertical AI services. In that case, they walk in as product aspects. They walked in as experts in technology, but not necessarily experts in machine learning. So for them, the challenge of setting up machine learning operations becomes the first one. They interact with the service that changes under the covers so that they make a call in a couple of weeks, new models being released. They make a call and get slightly different results, which is the nature of probabilistic software. And they rub the, they naturally go through this paradigm shift in understanding how to build application against a service like that, how to evaluate it, how to test, how to make sure that their tests pass reliably. So it's all things machine learning, I would say. And the second one is evaluation and data. So that generally is a big challenge, even for experts, for companies that are building machine learning software, setting up the data pipeline and the data acquisition process is very significant undertaking. For a company that does not have it in its DNA and just getting it to machine learning, it's a pretty big step.
0: Is that something that's solved by adding more types of talent to the customer team? Or is it more of just retraining the existing team on how to work with new things? Are there any best practices that you've seen in the deployments you've made?
1: Some companies approach it differently, but in terms of best practices, they will almost certainly in, and unavoidably introduce those new disciplines of employees working with data. One thing that is so working really well is those group being driven by domain experts. So when you're preparing the data, the, irrespective of what measure of quality you actually choose for your particular task, just in general, the quality of uh, just training, evaluation, and testing data will determine the success of your initiative. So having the main experts and practitioners being deeply involved into the setting up of those processes makes a very significant impact.
0: That makes sense. Shifting to what you're up to now, could you share some of the projects you're working on at Oracle? Maybe a particular project you're excited about?
1: So one of the biggest areas of focus for me right now is my Generative AI technologies. We recently launched our first Generative AI service at Oracle Cloud, and now the work goes in a number of directions. We are growing the functionality of the service, a number of launches already lined up, and in parallel working on adopting it across internal customers within Oracle and external enterprise customers working with us. So that's generally is very exciting space to be in with LLMs and the power of generative AI tech. What makes Oracle being particularly interesting place is picture a company with data and enterprise software being in its DNA. And now this place that is already highly innovative and moves hand-in-hand with the technology advancements, picture that place adopting generative AI and making generative AI being a part of its DNA on the side with data and uh, enterprise expertise. So that I see a lot of potential in that across all domains, across our fusion applications, NetSuite, and our new healthcare play that we joined just a couple of years ago.
0: You mentioned a lot of working with internal customers there. For any internal teams, has there been pushback against using generative
1: AI in their own workflows? It's actually happening other way around. So there is incentive to adopt the technologies, but for the most part, the teams approach it from the perspective of them seeing the opportunity and knowing where the technology can be integrated into the service. So we are getting the reach outs from internal teams, so helping them to build the features that they need and helping them to go through the initial hurdles of evaluating and adopting and getting that functionality to enterprise grade accuracy level. It's a lot of incoming requests that we're seeing right now from across the company, across a wide range of applications with a deep desire to actually make it a part of the experience. So there is a lot of consensus, there is a lot of potential in the application of this technology.
0: Got it. So it sounds like you have the keys to the toy stores and there's a line out the door.
1: That's a perfect analogy.
0: With generative AI technology evolving so quickly right now, as you launch Oracle's Gen AI services, What was your process to determine the right features and workflows to actually build?
1: So it's very similar to what I was talking about. We are lucky enough at Oracle to have this wide range of internal applications, and they give a very significant boost in terms of initial, definitional, and then functional expansion. And then the second wave comes from our enterprise customers. Uh, The way we are looking at it internally, the way I look at it is generative AI technologies and LLMs. To some extent, I almost look at it as implementation detail. What's very important to distill out of it is the introduction of new paradigms, of interaction paradigms that those technologies brought to the table, like new ways of conversational interactions data retrieval paradigms like REG and those fundamental shifts are here to stay. As technology evolves, so LLMs may become something else, but I don't think those paradigms are going away. So in the end, the functional expansion is being looked at through the lens of introduction of features that are seeing demand, that fit into those paradigms, and the vision. In some cases, we got to believe in something. We got to believe that one of those paradigms is going to be phenomenally successful like one of those that is close to my heart is a concept of agents that is being very actively explored in academia right now. And it's based on React model, Reasoning and Action model that was enabled by LLM. It wasn't possible before. And in the end, after working on conversational systems back at AWS Lex and the Oracle Digital System, I believe that this paradigm is going to really revolutionize the way we interact with computers in general. So it's just a part of the vision that we have.
0: Speaking of agents in particular, I know one of the other major projects you worked on at Oracle was launching the clinical digital assistant. Mm -hmm. Could you share a bit more about that and maybe what some of the unique challenges there were in developing something with such a sensitive information?
1: So the sensitivities are hitting the roof over there. Dealing with customer data in general is a pretty important topic. Dealing with healthcare data is taking that to the extreme I'll start broad and I'll get back to clinical digital assistance. A piece of my approach that worked really well for me in the past is when starting the project, starting the design initiative, organizing the group, organizing the architectural efforts for it, I focus on some of the key elements that are essential, that are most important in a particular piece of software, particular components that we design. And in there, it was very easy to identify that data is going to be the backbone of the system. So making the design process driven around all things data allows you to integrate all of those compliances, regulations, norms, as first-class principles and not an afterthought. And even though, as you said, the space is quite challenging, the topic of building software in healthcare isn't new by any means. And we were lucky enough to work as a part of a certain organization that is now a part of Oracle, where there is an enormous amount of expertise on storing customer data as a part of Cerner Millennium product, which is our EHR system. So leveraging that expertise, we were able to build this SHIM, this digital system sitting on top of that data and making the life of healthcare professionals much smoother, much easier, eliminating the unnecessary documentation burden while keeping customer data and following all of the practices, all of the GDPR, HIPAA, so compliance regulations in the full compliance results. As you're throughout that building process, what was the testing
0: and evaluation process like? Was there a certain benchmark you were trying to hit as you developed or was it more about customer testing continuously throughout the life
1: cycle? It's a combination of both really, but usually the way it works, before we put anything in the hands of customers, we define metrics. And depending on the tasks, the actual metrics would differ. It could be a benign um, accuracy for some classification tasks. It's going to be something much more in depth for analyzing the output of large language models that will go through the actual accuracy, fact correctness, the other aspects of evaluation. So before anything out, even in uh, private beta, we already ensure that the software passes our thresholds across all metrics. And then we continuously improve it as it gets in the hands of limited preview adopters and then more general audience in public preview and then in generally available product. Along
0: those lines, recently there's been a ton of attention on different developing guidelines and recommendations from regulatory organizations like the White House around LLM technology to identify sources of bias or potential misinformation, I'm wondering, as you're designing those evaluation processes and metrics, what's been Oracle, or at least your team's approach to red teaming and ensuring a responsible AI
1: development? That's probably the most important one. Let me step back before we get to Red Team. And just in general, if you look at the process of what it takes, what it involves to bring uh, large language model technology to production, it starts much earlier. It starts with the development of LLM, or the training process that is a multi-step process by nature. The importance of that and the importance of building the responsible AI system, the entire pipeline that all of those steps lead to, is very critical when you're dealing with enterprise software, when you're dealing with healthcare software. So Oracle, we pay attention to every single step, every single phase in the development of LLM. And hence the importance of our strategic partnership with Cohere, which is our primary provider of large language model technology at this point. So we work very closely with the group of researchers and data scientists over there to ensure that the training data that goes to pre-training is clean, that we've handcraft and build fine-tuning data sets for the alignment phases, for preference tuning, to eliminate as much of undesirable behavior as we can. And, of course, it cannot be done at just the data level. Uh, the final product must be evaluated. And at that point, we get to the retiming that you mentioned. On our end, we use, specifically for that one, we use a combination of manual effort, which is quite hard to set up, and it takes a lot of time. But the importance of that is critical. And as authors of Lama 2 paper, state that the safety is a long-tail issue. It doesn't matter. When you pass your threshold, when you achieve a certain number, the number is not going to be 100 at any point. So it's very important to perform that evaluation, even though it takes enormous amount of resources on your end. So it goes mm-hmm. through round and rounds and rounds of that producing checkpoints of the model that again bear and bear in terms of safety. And we, ca- we companies that with automated, uh, automated teaming where it's interesting. One of the paradigms that LLMs brought to the tables is interleaving and combining LLMs at development time. So there is one LLM that is generating the input for testing another one. And those techniques that are applied to evaluation that are applied to safety checking are quite computationally efficient and efficient in terms of human resources and time that it takes for you to go through those iterations. So in practice, the answer is a combination of both gives us a lot of data to first analyze how the LLM is performing at a particular stage. And then post-analysis, this data is being fed into the next round of fine-tuning, making it safer safer as we go through those iterations.
0: Oh, that's fascinating, especially hearing how LLMs are integrated into the development and testing phases too. Well, taking a step more broadly, so you started your career as a researcher. Looking at the research field now, are there any particular
1: areas that you follow closely? Obviously, some of those that I already mentioned, the agents and the chain of thought reasoning are very close to my heart. I do believe in this paradigm, and I think there is a lot of potential in the topics of evaluating large language models. It's a very significant one. As I mentioned earlier, is the success of virtually any machine learning product heavily depends on your ability to properly evaluate the system. The other one, I would say, is data generically. It's a backbone of any system. And to some extent, I consider machine learning and the techniques, the specific techniques that are used in uh, machine learning, a thin wrapper on top of data. As the techniques evolve, and I saw the so course of last 20 years, I saw those evolve immensely, and they, that will continue happening. The quality of data plays a bigger and bigger role in the development of those systems. And the aspects of data lineage and other concepts of dealing with underlying data play a significant role in the development of responsible AI systems. So, hence, both my interest and my work on the papers that I published on data lineage. Specifically, Is that the next paper that your team is publishing then on data lineage? Oh, well, there is always something in the pipeline. I prefer to mostly speak about the things that we already published.
0: Cool, okay, awesome. The very last question I have for you, then, is say I'm a I just graduated college and I'm looking to get involved in the AI space, but I don't know where to start. What general advice would you give for someone like me looking to figure out what type of company to work at?
1: First of all, I started at high level. Even in machine learning space, even if you narrow down the technology to machine learning, there are a lot of disciplines involved. There is a huge technology play the stack is very deep for the stack of technologies that are used in machine learning and machine learning applications. There is obviously science and applied science and the various levels of engagement and involvement in um, in that space and in that discipline. And there is a data play with a lot of specialties uh, and jobs are organized around working with data, again, in various capacities. So something that worked really well for me and was effectively a highlight of my career so far throughout the phases. During every single phase that I mentioned in the beginning, now looking back at it, I realized that I was working on something that I was very deeply passionate about. And at first it was research, and then it was a very deep dive into technology back in my startup days. And now all things human language and machine learning in general, that I see enormous amount of potential. And that gave us a very significant boost to my ability to learn those as I was transitioning across phases. Like It was incredibly easy for me to dive into NLP because I saw the potential in NLP to get us to AGI. It just doesn't get more excited than that. And that drove me throughout these transitions, transformations, and eventually led me to be saying, quite successful in all of those journeys.
0: Got it. So follow the excitement. And what do you get excited about? Essentially, yeah. Awesome. Well, Igor, thank you so much for uh, sharing about your journey and lifting the veil on some exciting things that you're working on. I'm sure we'll be following you very closely to see what your team is coming up with next. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that, with an on-demand talented management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero.